When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with purpose and passion. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and today we have a guest, Clifton Corbin, who was a business consultant with two decades of experience when he left the office to become a full-time stay-at-home dad. Uh, During this time, he authored his first book, Your Kids, Their Money, focused on providing parents with the skills and tools to teach financial literacy to their children. I can tell already we're going to have a lively conversation and we're kindred spirits. Clifton, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, There's so much I want to ask about the stay home dad thing, because I have some good friends who have who who went that route. Um, And and it's it to me, first of all, it's it's kind of an amazing thing. Um, But to me, I, I think if I was home a lot, I would putter around and, and things would be would be not good. In fact, my wife has said I'm never allowed to retire because I'd be puttering around the kitchen. She doesn't want that either. So so tell us your story and and a little bit about how how that trajectory took you to to do the things you did and make those decisions. Sure, sure. So with regards to staying at home, actually, let me go back a little bit further. So I talk yeah. a lot about money, where, as you said, kindred spirits. Um, so that started when I was a little kid. I uh, I was a money nerd before it was cool to put it on shirts. You know, I uh-huh. was, you know, so curious about money. I was always learning more about money, always trying to learn more about money. Um, and then I went off to university and did, you know, what so many people do. I made a mess of my finances. Uh, you know, fast forward, I got out of it and I realized something I needed to do was to give back, uh, to find, you know, find ways to help, you you know, the next generation avoid some of the mistakes I made. With regards to staying at home, I've got two young kids at home. Um, and when my son was going off to elementary school, we noticed that he was pretty anxious. And we knew, you know, having him do the after school care and all of that would probably not help with his transition to school. So I took a leave with the idea of maybe I'd go back, maybe I wouldn't. Uh, we, you know, messed around with the finances and realized it wasn't necessary for me to go back. It did mean, you know, retirement was pushed off quite a bit, but uh, it didn't mean we had to have two working parents, at least not two full time working parents. Uh, and then fast forward, my daughter came around and it's like, again, we don't want to have the after-school care, and it just—it's just made sense uh, for a while. And we talked about it as like my partner and I. We talked about having a parent at home, like that's kind of how we grew up when we were younger, mm-hmm. went with one mm-hmm. parent at home for at least part of it. So we wanted mm-hmm. to recreate some of that for our kids. Got it. No, I—I I think there's there's a lot to that, and there's a lot to the decisions around school and around aftercare, and and. You know, I'm a Gen Xer. I think I'm older than you, my friend, but I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer, which meant we were latchkey kids to a, to a given extent, um, usually unsupervised and sort of walking ourselves to the bus to get to school and stuff that kids really don't do anymore um, in a lot of ways, um, which we could talk about whether that's good or bad uh, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, but to make that kind of decision, you said retirement has to be put off for a while, and I would argue you're already retired. Um, and so let's um, talk about what retirement is. And, and oh, I don't mean question. retired like not working. I mean retired like um, a sense of independence and a sense of your ability to do what it is you want to do 
that feels like retirement already. And it doesn't mean you're sitting around with your feet up. I, I, and I understand the difference. What mm-hmm. it means is mm-hmm. that to me, retirement is not the absence of work. It's the absence of needing to work. So right. if you're in a position where you can do that, that's a healthy thing. I, I totally agree with you. And I'm same generation. Well, I agree you're probably older than me and I won't get, say how I guess that, but I, I agree we're probably in Thank that same you. generation. Thank you so, no no so problem. much. <laughs> Let me tell you, you know what payback uh, is. If this wasn't a family show, I'd tell you what payback is, but I can't do that. <laughs> you, you offered me some, I'm just offering some back. Um, yeah, okay. So with regards to retirement, you're right. Um, I would also probably agree with, I agree with what you said. I, I would say, you know, I've got the freedom to do the things that I want to do. Um, but I'm in a partnership. My wife mm-hmm. still needs to work, needs to work mm-hmm. to make all of this mm-hmm. work. So as a, as a partnership, we cannot be retired on an earlier time frame. So as an individual, I'm, I've got the luxury to be able to do what I want with, you know, a little bit of uh, access to my time and have choice over that. But as a, as a collective, as a we, uh, no, we're not, we're not in that position yet. Makes perfect sense. So let, how old are your children? So my son is 10 and my daughter's eight. Okay. So I'm the proud parent of a, a new, newly minted teenager which is horrifying to have a teenage girl in the house is a horrifying thing. Uh, But, but trying to teach her about money has been an incredibly challenging thing. And I know this is something you're very passionate about and you've written a book on the subject. So, so let's talk about some of the early money lessons maybe that you learned or experienced good or bad, and then how you tried to translate that into your own parenting. And then we can talk about the book in a bit. Sure. So when, like I said, I was a money geek as a little kid. So I was super curious about money. Um, but it really revolved around two things, earning money and saving money. So I, I had a lot of first jobs, like even as like a, a youngster, like the paper route, the lemonade stand. Uh, there was a moment where my dad was uh, a mechanic. He's an academic, but he's, he had a moment where he went back to being a mechanic. I, uh, I basically, I bought the oil for the oil changes wholesale and sold them retail. So I didn't get an allowance. I got a dividend check. So I've been, you know, from a very early wow. age, making money has always been something that was really fascinating to me. Um, but then, like I said, the, the, I went off to university and I realized I didn't understand credit. I didn't understand most mm-hmm. of the aspects of financial literacy. So earning, saving, nailed those, got those down. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what do you do with credit? How do you manage debt? How do you use it to your advantage or not? You know, insurance, uh, just wealth creation in general. Like there's all these aspects and facets of financial literacy that I just did not get access to at an early age. So I've tried to make sure that, you know, through my book and through my my talks and through all the other things that I'm doing, I'm trying to make sure that young young kids are getting access to all of the pieces of financial literacy. So hopefully when they're off on their own, they can draw on some of these things that they've learned while they're at home with you uh, as their, you know, as a parent, as their guardian, as their advisor, and then they can apply it to their own lives. So trying to make money lessons um, relevant and age appropriate is something a lot of people struggle with. First of all, money's still taboo. People don't talk about money. Um, and a lot of families don't talk about money. And so if you watch, if you're one of those kids who watches your parents fight about money, you could have real baggage around it before you even know sure. uh, the value of a dollar, so to speak. For sure. Um, how do you keep this um, age appropriate? At what age did you start your own kids on some type of money journey? Sure. So 
I usually say, especially for like the super young kids, you really need to go where they are, where they are. So for my son, I think I started talking about money when he was about four years old. Um, I tried to introduce an allowance with him and I realized, you know what, this, this just doesn't work. Like we can't, he's not old enough. He can't do the math for it. It didn't work. So we just brought it back to playing games, role playing games, like turning the bedroom into like a grocery store or a restaurant uh, and doing all those fun activities for him at a young age, you know, with the cash register. So, cash register. so we're doing mm -hmm. games and we're talking about money, but we're not doing it in a way that was overly cumbersome or complicated for him to understand. Um, and I've tried to continue with that. So it's, uh, I, what I try to do is just introduce, you know, your stories. So kids love to hear our stories. They're, they're fascinated by our journey. So I try to, you know, encourage, my, like, I just talk about what's happened in my life. Like I talk about the time when, you know, I, I lost a job or I talk about the time when I got that first job and when I, you know, the money I saved or the money I didn't save and the ramifications of that. So I tell my stories in hopes that my kids, you know, will resonate with the fact that, you know, this person that they know has gone through this journey. So that's one way of doing it, especially for the older kids. Like they're probably not gonna do role-playing games with you, but they're probably still fascinated by your life lessons. So that's another way that you can just introduce money concepts uh, in an age appropriate way. Cause the last thing, like you said, if you're arguing about money or, or money is something that's a challenge in your life, you don't want to bring that to your child. That's, that's not the idea. You want to bring it to them in a fun, uh, engaging way. So, whether that's through games, you know, playing Monopoly, telling your stories, uh, reading books. There's so many, like I've got a list of great uh, kids books from like pre basically preschool all the way up to teenager on my website. And any one of those books would be great resource for kids to start hearing about some of these lessons and doing it in a way that's fun for them. That's not, you know, sitting them around the fireplace with a lecture. Well, that's good because that doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> and does and I, you know, I, I found allowance not to be that particularly helpful either. Although we did the three jars for a while where we had some money go to charity and some money go to savings and some money go to fun. And that was impactful until it wasn't. And there was mm -hmm. a point where, where that's difficult. I mean, you want your kids to have an abundance mentality, not a scarcity one. But you also, I think, and I, I'm imposing my own my own will on you, so push back if, if that's not the right message, but um, I, I think even though you want them to have an abundance mentality, you don't want them to take it for granted. So no, how, I do agree you with teach, you. how do you teach grit while still having that abundance of mindset? I agree with you. And so for me, when it comes to the allowance, I like to say, you know, what is the purpose of the allowance? Is it just to give your kid money so they have money? No, it's another learning tool. It's another opportunity for them to start practicing money habits, whether that be transacting, saving, donating, uh, just counting, whatever it is. So the allowance only has so much uh, benefit, especially as your kids grow out of it. But what you can do, especially if, you know, you've got a teenager in your life, is switch that allowance to a budget. Like you have budgets that you're, you're the money that you're planning to spend for your child whether that be you know lunch money or toiletries or what have you have that or even clothing you know back to school mm -hmm. just a few examples i like the idea of like giving them access to that budget and then have them manage that budget so again they're not just getting an allowance and then that's it it's an allowance without the conversation an allowance without the discussion an allowance without you coaching and helping and advising them really is nothing it's useless you really need to have both but like i said you've kind of got the, t the teenager in your life now this is the time where you want to kind of transition to managing a, a budget but with regards to your specific question about grit and making sure that they're not just you know looking for a handout 
I don't give them much. Like they don't get a whole lot from me. Like they're going to get enough to, you know, hopefully start building up that habit of saving. But if they really want to go out and get something, they still have to go out and earn it. And I think those early jobs really start teaching them, you know, how to have that, that, positive work mentality. Um, my son, for example, he started up a baking business o- o- over the summer, uh, went to a bunch of farmer's markets and sold. It taught him how to plan. It taught him how to budget. Wow. It taught him how to like manage a float. So all of these things he's learning at 10. Uh, and that's not coming from the allowance. That's coming from his desire to have more money than the allowance would afford him. Uh, and his desire to, you know, make people happy and bake and do these, this fun activity that he enjoys. Uh, but I really feel like those first jobs give you an opportunity to kind of help your child learn some of that grit and some of that uh, some of that resilience that you want. Um, I find that hard to do with the allowance because the allowance, like I said, it's really a means to practice the the, tra- the, the transactions and all these other habits, but it, it can only, like you said, in your words, it can only get you so far. So let's talk about the book. What inspired you to take pen to paper and, and put a book together? It's a, sure. it's so, a huge, it's a, it's a heavy lift. It's hard. Writing a book is not easy. So, no, so tell us not. about that. Sure. So I kind of give you a bit about my my money journey. So I started off, you know, being very fascinated about money and then, you know, making a bit of a mess of my finances in, in university and then kind of figuring out after. And like I said, my, my objective was to help the next generation avoid some of those mistakes. And then when I looked back, I was like, well, what was what's a tool that I can offer to help with this? And one of the things is to help parents have these conversations, help give parents the resources. So that was the that's the why behind the book it's to make sure that you know parents have the resources have the language have the full picture of financial literacy that they can then offer to their children um it started as a blog i feel like a lot of these projects start as a blog i was listening to a past episode of yours uh with tiff uh and i think mm-hmm, her mm-hmm. project started as a blog as well um and it really is I, and i love the blog because it's just you know it's an opportunity to start you know getting some thoughts off of your chest um but i had an interview with someone and she said so my words to me she's like a blog is good but a book is better uh and i was like you're right so i you know i took the the concepts of the blog and then i started to flesh those out a little bit more did some research uh and just you know you you chip away at it bit by bit uh but it came together really quickly because it was so it's like i said you said yourself i'm very passionate about this um Mm -hmm. so i was very excited to do it and it's just the first of of many uh i've you know i've got a second book that i just released uh it's not totally mine it's a revision of the richest man in Babylon that I worked on with my cool. son. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure you know the book, The Richest Man in Babylon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I've been encouraging folks to read this book forever. I think it's a wonderful book. It's got great lessons in it. Um, I tried reading it to my son, who I mentioned is 10, and his eyes just glazed over. He's like, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> right. So I said, all right, well, why don't we why don't we see if we can make this better? Make it so that you do understand it. Make it so that it's, you know, not like the book came out in 1926. So let's let's give it a refresh. So he and I worked on that. So again, it's just trying to create products and resources and, and different services that I know will help parents and kids get these concepts so that once they need them, they have them, they understand them. Or if they need to, they can just seek it out and they have a, a resource there that they can use. So writing a book, among other things, is a lesson in time management and tenacity. <laughs> Uh, so I give you credit for that. I, having having done this myself and thinking I may never do it again, I'm I, I three down and zero to go. Uh, I think, <laughs> although I, although you know you know you always have to update some of these if there's if there's content in them that's timely, which sometimes mm-hmm. there is. Um, 
are you a writer by training? Did you, did you, are you, I'm an English major. Did you study English in school or did you just love to write no. or how did that work? No, none of the above. In fact, I, I often joke if computers didn't come around with spell check, I might still be in elementary and high school right now because I, <laughs> I can't spell. My grammar is terrible, uh, but I do like to read. And that came in okay. my later years. I do enjoy books. Okay. Uh, my first degree is in computer engineering. My second degree is an MBA. Um, so writing isn't something that necessarily uh, is my thing. I'm, I feel like I've gotten better at it as I've done it more. Um, but my father, as I mentioned, is he's an educator, uh, mm -hmm. and I've always wanted to uh, help and support. And I just, you know, I, you take what you have and you work with it and you refine it. Like you said, it's 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 all about managing your time and and being uh, diligent. Uh, to be honest, the book was written in 2019. Um, okay. My kids came home, and I, my, I, my the idea was that I was going to publish it in 2020. 2020 happened, so I did nothing. I shelved it for a year, uh, and mm -hmm. then you know, 2021 came out, and I was like, okay, I really want to get back to this. Um, so right. even it's not even just the writing; it's really just being um, passionate about the subject matter. Like, if you're not passionate about what you're writing about, it's not it's not going to work. Yeah, I did publish in 2020 and uh, couldn't do a book tour and couldn't do any of the things that that would have marketed the book. But I was so excited to get it to market and to get it out in the world that I, I went ahead and did it. You probably did it better because waiting, waiting that year when people were freaked out, it, it, it wasn't a bad it was. It was a bad time to publish anything or put anything out there. The wait was not voluntary. My both my kids came home to do the online at home schooling, uh, and it just it, okay. it wasn't an option. I was full time stay at home dad, full time teacher, principal, administrator. I was I was the everything trying to hold it all together, and it was not a it was not a good year for us. So it, it wasn't an Got option it. to even try to get it Got out it. that year. Well, it worked out in your favor. I believe that. I think so. <laughs> I mean, things happen for a reason, right? I mean, I think it worked out <laughs> in your favor. So so we talk a lot on this show, and it sounds like you've heard it before. In fact, Tifsha celebrated her fifth anniversary of her of her show, which is phenomenal. She's doing a, a lot mm -hmm. of great things. Um, we are, uh, we're trying to help change the mindset for folks around financial independence. And there's there's so much material. There's so many, so much content out there. You know, content's been democratized. It's no longer your three primary networks that tell you what, what they want you to hear for half an hour every night. Now it's millions of independent um, creators, which is a wonderful, amazing thing. It also makes it overwhelming to find, to sort of separate what is, what is wisdom from what is drivel. Um, mm -hmm. And so how do you, how do you distinguish um, or how do you separate your, your own uh, work and you said you had a list of, of children's books. How do you how do you separate those? What is the criteria that you use to say this is really really good and this one's not so much? Like how how subjective is that? That's a great question. That is a great question. It is it's the challenge that we're going to have going forward. I I don't know. Uh, again, my my background is tech, and I remember a while ago uh, a book came out called The Long Tail, and it was basically highlighting the fact that it. You know, in this generation and in, the, in these years coming forward, it's really about filtering and how do we filter information to make sure we're getting, you know, quality versus, as you said, like the, the drivel that can come out. Um, I have, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I've been uh, reading about financial literacy. I've been reading about economics. This is like, uh, this is not just like a part-time thing for me. So I know what quality content is. I also, you know, as for my book, I use, you know, journal articles that have been reviewed. I'm not just using, you know, uh, Wikipedia or another blog post to come up with the, the, the data for my book. I, I try to use credible sources and those sources, you know, usually have, uh, 
some backing to give them the credibility. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard. I I I'm, I don't know if I have a great answer for you other than you know when I talk to folks, I say find those sources that really resonate with you. One, mm-hmm. like you like yourself or Tiff or myself, what have you. But you also have to make sure that what you're seeing isn't totally against the grain, right? Like the reason why I love The Richest Man in Babylon, it came out in 1926, but the 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 principles that it talks about still work today. Like managing money, while you're you're right, it's taboo. We don't talk about it. We we don't talk mm-hmm. about it enough. The concepts really haven't changed that much. Like we have, you know, new fintech companies and different products and crypto and all of these things. But the concepts themselves, you know, trying to live off of less than you make, uh, paying yourself yeah. first, all of these principles, they they don't typically change. Like we haven't learned anything better. Um, so I use my baseline, which is, uh, is this giving the same messages that I know work because I've tested them. I know they work for me. Um, and I've also seen, you know, other professionals out there mentioning these same resources. So it, it's a, it's a valid question. Um, but you really kind of have to use your, your filter and find mm-hmm. that resource that, that resonates with you. It's, there's a, um, I, I think there's, there's a community. You're part of FinCon, right? You, you met, I was, you met at I FinCon was, yeah. and, and so, which I happen to think is still the, the greatest, uh, poorly kept secret ever because there's thousands of people show up and so many people have never heard of it, which is kind of an amazing thing. I also can't figure out why more financial advisors don't go, I don't but know. I digress. It, it was, uh, yeah, it was my first and it was wonderful. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, I've been to five or six of them. Um, and, and 2023 is already on the calendar. I mean, it's just something I don't miss Same. because, Same. because the energy in the room, the collaboration, the sharing, the, the, the quality of people and the quality of content and the, and just the, um, it, it's a community. It's a special place. Like I, I showed up, I didn't know what a money nerd was till I showed up at my first one and then realized, oh my gosh, I found my tribe. Yeah. Like I knew yeah. I was a nerd and I knew I liked money. I didn't know it was a thing. So it sounds like, like I said, we're kindred spirits. We, we discovered that together, which is kind of neat. Um, so, so let's talk about education um, and specifically the, the cost of education. I don't know where you are geographically, um, though you, you said you went to university rather than saying you went to college, which makes me think either uh-huh. Canada or, or Europe. Um, are, are you Canadian. in the U.S.? You're Canadian. Okay. I'm in Canada. When you say I went, yeah, to, but I went to university, yeah. Yeah, but I have uh, I have one degree from Canada and my master's is from the United States. So I've kind of I've, I've bridged it. the I bridged the borders. All right. Well, I, I wasn't one hundred percent sure but when you said I went to university. I said it's either it's either the UK or Canada. Yeah, I did. I tried I to did. I tried to swap it for the audience, but yeah, you picked up on that. No, it's fine. It, it, listen, we we've it's the same thing, um, and we've had a, <laughs> we've had a number of Canadian guests on. In fact, I had a interviewed somebody recently who who said I was the most Canadian American he'd ever met. Just because I could speak, I could speak Canadian because I've been all over the country. I love, I love Canada. So, uh, but let's talk about the cost of education. And, you know, our audience is, is worldwide, although it, it mostly is American, uh, at least North American. College or university has gotten so outrageously expensive that at some point, I think there might be a tipping point where some of it doesn't make sense. How do you help counsel folks who want the best for their for their children? We all want the best for our kids. How do you counsel them when there are so many choices out there and when this particular choice feels like it's less of an automatic path now? How do you how do you do that? You're, you you nailed it. I don't know if it is an automatic path now. Like there's so many man my my brain's exploding on that question. So one there's the cost. 
Um, the only way to manage the cost, you, you could start saving early. Um, one of the things that I've done, uh, I shouldn't say I, I should say my, my, my wife and I, we've done, we stopped giving our, our nieces and nephews any Christmas or birthday presents. It goes straight into a 529 um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, like you said, the costs are astronomical. But I don't know if it is necessarily an automatic. Now, you kind of, like the idea of, you know, that uh, that semester where you kind of figure it out, you can't afford to do that if it's going to lead right. in you with all this debt at the end of it. So um, what I've been saying, uh, and I know you kind of asked this question, so I don't want to steal your thunder, but what I've been saying is instead of asking our, our kids, you know, what do you want to do or what do you want to be when you grow up? I've been mm-hmm. trying to reverse it and, and revise it to say, what's something you can imagine yourself doing for five years, in the next five years, for just five years. Like I want the window to be five years because as you and anyone else who's probably got a degree out there knows, you know, we're, we're likely to have multiple different jobs, potentially different careers, lots of different jumps. Um, so what I want our youngsters to know is that, you know, that degree won't define you. It won't define your your career. It's the foot in the door to get that first job. It's the foot in the door to kind of get your, your, you know, to get your feet wet, to kind of get a sense of what the working world is. And then maybe you decide this isn't for me, but you still have the degree. So what I've been trying to, like I said, trying to refocus it to say, what's something that you're really passionate about, but you don't need to put all the pressure of this is the decision for the rest of my life. These are, this is the the career or the job or the degree that's going to take me from here till I retire. Cause I feel like that's too much pressure to put on children. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the reframing that I've been trying to, to put. And if the, if the, if the answer to that question is something that doesn't necessarily require schooling, then maybe you don't do schooling right away. Maybe you don't go to post-secondary right away. It doesn't mean that's now off the table. It just means, and we, you, I'm sure you've seen this, where you, mm-hmm. you meet the mature students, they're more dedicated, they're more passionate, they're, more, they're the best students you're going to find because they've yeah. decided to, in addition to all of the life responsibilities they have, they've decided to now come back to uh, academia because they know the benefits that that will give them. Um, for example, just using someone in my own life, my dad is, gosh, he's 73, I think, and he went back to do his PhD a couple of years ago. Why? Because he's passionate about it. He sees value in it. He's a great student mm-hmm. because he knows the value of this degree. Um, you know, when you're 17, 18, it's still fluid, right? Like you're still kind of figuring it out. So one, make sure you kind of have a sense of what you want to do, not for the rest of your life, but for five years. And if you can dedicate yourself to, you know, the education and that first job, it can be a little bit easier as far as like the guidance, like what you do. Um, with the finance, financial piece of it, you have to save early, um, you know, seek any grants and bursaries or, or uh, scholarships that you can. There's no, there's no, you know, one answer fits all for this one. It's really um, student dependent. I'm anxious to see how this pendulum continues to swing in terms of whether higher education becomes a path for just about everyone or whether we start to see that that shift because to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for an undergraduate degree that really is only an entry ticket um for that kind of money you could buy a business a good one yeah. a profitable you could buy a couple, of, buy a couple uh, of houses start real estate you know be a the lot, next real estate mogul 
lots of things and, and that's not to downplay education and and you no know, not at all my, with my own daughter i i desperately hope that she wants to continue her education but i don't know what it's going to be i don't know whether she wants to go um to go work toward her phd or whether she wants to be an entrepreneur in which case it's a totally different kind of kind of path so i guess we'll wait and see so you hit it on the head you asked um what do you want to do for the next five years i'm not letting you off that easy I actually do want to know what you want to be when you grow up because um, because we stop asking people that when they're young. And since mm -hmm. we've decided you're almost as old as I am, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? So it's so funny. When I was uh, trying to figure out, you know, my educational path, I, I, you know, I ended up in engineering. I've always had a passion for business. Um, so I did the engineering degree. I did the business degree. But I remember when I was younger, I had a couple people, you know, mentors, my my parents, and like, what about teaching? Um, and I was like, no, I have no, I have no interest in teaching, uh, and only to find myself teaching. This is what this is what I'm doing. I'm doing it in a different route. You know, I'm doing it via my book. I'm doing it via workshops. I'm doing it via, you know, talks with parent associations, what have you, but it's what I'm doing. It's what I'm enjoying. So if I had to answer that question, I want to be a financial literacy teacher, but not in a classroom, not in a classroom. I want to do it in, you know, settings that give me a little bit more intimacy, uh, whether it be, you know, like a, a like a virtual workshop or in-person workshop or what have you. So I've I've gone full circle from I would never want to be a teacher to I think that's kind of my calling. Okay, no, I like that. Are are you able to as a as a father of two and a and a writer and a, a and an entrepreneur? Do you have time to do a lot of philanthropy? Have you found organizations that work toward financial literacy that you're able to, to help with or that you're passionate about? I'm still working towards that. Um, I've, mm -hmm. So if, with regards to philanthropy, like I do a lot of volunteer work. It's one of the benefits of being a stay-at-home dad and that, you know, I have a little bit more control over my time. So I've done quite a bit of volunteer yeah. work, specifically with financial literacy. I've done a lot of pro bono talks, um, and that's mm -hmm. kind of the way I've been able to give back um, so far. But I'm still looking for organizations that I could pair with uh, and partner with because I, I, I feel like we, and you mentioned it with FinCon, we all get better when we're working together. Like it just, oh, yeah. the community is what makes this works so well. So I'm still looking for those communities. And if you know, you're, you're listening and you're like, Hey, this guy might be someone I'd be interested in partnering with, you know, send me an email. I'd be happy to connect. Where, where in Canada are you? I'm in Toronto. Toronto. I, I believe Toronto has at least one chapter of junior achievement. Um, they do. They do. That's an organization so, that I've been, yeah, I've been. Oh, so if I'm you've done some I've volunteering heard. with them, I, I think they're unbelievable. And, and for those, I haven't who don't yet, know, but I did hear about okay. them. Yeah. For for Sorry, the, for those for those listeners who don't know Junior Achievement, it is a it is a financial literacy um, behemoth of a of an organization that helps uh, school age kids all the way through learn some lessons about money. They do some incredible programs, and I would I would say check that out. Um, and they are international. I know there are chapters here in Maryland, and I and I know there's some in Ontario as well. So you should be all set. So last last question. Um, the last question is because you're a teacher, and I expect. I expect a work on this, uh, Clifton. I need an extra credit assignment because you're not allowed to assign homework to our audience, but you can give us an extra credit assignment. What would that be today? If you're, if you have a child in your life, if you've got, you know, nephews, nieces, your own children, just make talking about money something that's not taboo. Just talk to them about money in a fun way. Give them one story, one fun 
you know, whimsical story about how money had an impact in your life uh, that will, you know, get them thinking about, you know, some financial concept, whether it be saving, earning, investing, donating, just give them one, one fun story. Uh, and I think it will, it will make, it'll make a world of difference. Excellent advice. And I hope folks will take it. Where can people get your book? Where can they learn more about you and your, your workshops and your programs? Sure. So you can find me on cliftoncorbin.com. Uh, you can access my books there as well. Um, Amazon.com or Audible uh, for uh, Your Kids, Their Money. That's my my first book. It's a parent's guide to raising financially literate children. Um, my blog, again, cliftoncorbin.com slash blog. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of all over the place. So uh, yeah, just, um, or you can always shoot me an email if you have a question about, you know, some of the things I talked about here or, uh, or just in general, you can reach me at hello at cliftoncorbin.com. Excellent. We'll make sure to put that in our show notes um, when the show goes live. And I, I can't thank you enough for being here. And I trust I will see you in New Orleans in uh, 2023 at FinCon. The ticket, the ticket is purchased. It's, I'm uh, yeah, I will look forward to it. Thanks for being a guest. You were terrific. And, uh, and I, I know there was a lot of wisdom here and I hope folks enjoyed it. Thank you, Eric. And I appreciate you. One, I appreciate you having me on and I appreciate the show. Like, thank you for doing this. This, this is just so useful. Like you were asking before about where people can find good information. You are it. So thank you for doing the show. Oh, very kind. Very kind. Thank you. I'd like to thank all of you for listening and watching today. We'd love to hear from you. So please leave comments or send us a message at don'tretiregraduate.com. If you enjoy our show, don't keep us a secret. Share with your friends and family so they can join you on your journey to financial freedom. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours and in two weeks with another engaging guest. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. Don't Retire Graduate is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.